Hello and welcome to the Leaders in Tech and E-Commerce podcast. I am your host, Andre Palamario, and I am the APEC Director for Elkut Global Executive Search. Our mission is to connect the tech in supply chain and e-commerce ecosystem in Asia and globally by bringing forward some of the most interesting stories about success and failure from leaders in the industry. It is great to have with us today Karen Levitt. Karen is the CMO of Locus Robotics. She brings over 20 years of experience developing innovative, creative and effective marketing programs for a wide range of technology companies, from startups to Fortune 1000 public companies. She has an outstanding analytical and technical ability to deliver insight and innovative programs that consistently deliver positive marketing ROI. She also serves as the Locus Dynamic and Articulate Corporate Spokesperson before press analysts, customers, partners and investors. Now a few words about Locus Robotics. It is a great startup. It's a revolutionary multi-bot solution that incorporates powerful autonomous mobile robots that operate together with human workers to dramatically improve peace handling, productivity, two or three times with less labor compared to a traditional peace handling system. I talk with Karen about Locus Robotics, about the processes, about case studies, about the culture of Locus Robotics about uh, hiring and much more. Please enjoy our conversation. Hi, Karen. It's great to have you on the podcast today. Hi, Andre. Nice to meet you. Thank you very much for having me today. It is my pleasure. And it would be great just to set the scene and um, tell our listeners a bit, a few words about yourself and maybe the biggest or the main milestones in your career so far, just to kind of set the scene. Terrific. Well, my name is Karen Levitt. I am the Chief Marketing Officer at Locus Robotics. You can see my robots running around behind me. And my career has been sort of a long and winding road of software companies, hardware companies, cloud computing companies. And so I've really kind of brought all of those things together at Locus Robotics. What what people often don't realize is that robots are about 80% software. So, you know, having having the experience working with with software businesses in the past is is really helpful. And probably, you know, the most exciting I have to say that Locus is probably the most exciting business I've been at. I've worked for small startups I've worked for large Fortune 500 companies, and I'm now here at a startup that I think someday may be a Fortune 500 company. So it's growing that fast, and the market is just almost unlimited. It's it's a tremendous, tremendous time to be in this space. Exactly. And like you said, we have a lot of things to, to cover today, from the unicorn status to, I mean, that's connected to the growth and how... <laughs> how much the market wants the product after all. But let's start with, with that, with the external perspective, with the trends, right? So you are, sure. after all, in the supply chain, warehousing operation space. I'm just wondering from your side of things, how are the, what are the trends, right? What do you see maybe globally, maybe in the North American market? What can you tell us about that? Well, the interesting thing is the North American market looks a lot like the global market and vice versa. E-commerce has been growing around the world for the last couple of decades. Here in the United States, e-commerce has been growing at about a 10% compound annual growth rate for the last 20 years. It's been growing at different rates in other parts of the world, but always going 
going steadily upward. I mentioned e-commerce because e-commerce is a huge market in its own right, and it is it represents a large portion of our business. And when I say represents a large portion of our business, what we do is we provide robots that work in fulfillment warehouses. When somebody orders some type of merchandise that needs to be shipped, that piece of merchandise is living in a warehouse. And typically what happens is a human worker will go and retrieve the item from a shelf to put it into a box to ship it out to a business or a consumer. It doesn't really matter. And that's a very labor-intensive activity. And so our robots can help double or triple the productivity of the, the workers who are doing this and really accelerate the productivity coming out of these warehouses. So e-commerce is a large chunk of a market that has a need for this fulfillment process, but it's not the only market. Retailers also are can, can ship directly. The health healthcare industry, medical devices, if if a patient needs a new pacemaker or a hip replacement joint, all of those items reside in a warehouse, as do pharmaceuticals. And then the industrial sector, which, which is quite broad, needs to be able to ship parts every single day, whether it's automotive parts to repair depots or plumbing or electrical supply parts. So there are a lot of businesses that are using this vast warehouse supply chain around the world to move goods, and our robots can help make those businesses much more effective and higher, give them, give them a higher output potential. So the, the macro trends that you asked about, as I mentioned, that e-commerce has been growing steadily. And of course, what happened a year ago when the pandemic set in is e-commerce, the curve had been, had been steadily upward. I'll use this hand for people who are watching. The e-commerce trend had been steadily upward, and then it hit a huge spike up because people could no longer go to retail stores. So people who were not yet using e-commerce on a regular basis began using it on a daily basis to get their everyday goods. And that put a lot of pressure on the fulfillment warehouse industry to figure out how they could expand their output potential within their existing footprints. There was no time to expand into other buildings. There was no labor available to do that. And so the question was, how do you get double or triple the productivity in the same footprint with the same workforce? And the answer, of course, is, is automation. And, and we believe the answer is locust robots. Let's, let's focus a bit on that because, of course, it's all about automation. When it doesn't come, I mean, it's not like a silver bullet. Everything comes with effort. But of course, the rewards can be bigger or, or smaller, depending on how much effort you invest. So you did mention about fulfillment, about productivity. If you were to maybe prioritize the biggest three elements or the biggest three problems that Locus Robotics is trying to solve, how would you put them in order? Labor, labor, <laughs> and labor. <laughs> of course, there, there are other elements and the pandemic has introduced some, but let, let me start with labor for the time being. I mentioned that 
that the fulfillment industry has been seeing a steady upward uh, rise in demand for, for the last two decades. And it's difficult work. So finding the labor to be able to perform the fulfillment tasks has has become an increasing challenge in recent years for many warehouse operators. That's exacerbated by the fact that warehouses tend to be clustered together. They're not they're not scattered about all over various countries, you know, around each country around the globe. They they tend to be concentrated in large industrial parks where that, that are close to shipping ports, whether it's it's trucking lines or railroad lines and so forth. So they're all competing with one another for the same labor pool. The labor has become more expensive over the years. And then when COVID hit, we saw a lot of reluctance on the part of workers to go and work in these warehouses. So what had already been a difficult task to recruit and retain these associates became even more so. And then, of course, what we saw with COVID was not just the shortage of labor, but also the requirement for social distancing. So warehouses are very busy places. Warehouse operators want to be as efficient as possible in delivering the goods. So they tend to be really packed full of merchandise and that makes for often congested environments. And so what do you do if you're trying to protect the health and safety of your workers? That became a difficult challenge. So I'm going to come back to that one in a minute, just touch on a few other things that have always been with us, but keep that one in the back of your mind. Um, And then on top of labor, there's the need for increased efficiency and increased productivity in general. And these Productivity is is not a steady level of volume throughout the day or throughout the year. It has spikes. There are seasonal peaks, holiday seasons, the change of seasons from, from winter to spring and then to summer as merchandise changes, as activities change like children going back to school. All of these things can change shifts in the in demand for goods and in the volume that a warehouse has to put out. So now you not only need to augment your labor and make your labor more productive and more powerful, but you have to be able to do it in a scalable way. You need to be able to scale your automation solution up as the as the volumes rise and then also be able to scale it down so that you don't have too much equipment for those times when you may be in slower periods during the year. So one of the one of our goals in developing our solution was to ensure maximum flexibility and maximum scalability. So that means when we were when we were designing our solution, we said, well of course it has to work in a brand new warehouse, what we call a greenfield warehouse, but it also has to work effectively in a brownfield warehouse an existing warehouse, and not require the operator to have to shut down for days or weeks at a time while while the solution is being deployed, not require months or years of planning, and the capacity has to be very flexible. You don't want to have to build the capacity for just your peak seasons because then you'll be overcapitalized 
during your slow seasons. But if you build it for your average season, then when you hit your peak season, you won't have enough capacity. So that ability to scale up and down, that's what drove our thinking. And you can see the robots running behind me. These are nimble, flexible types of automation that can go into any environment. And we can get a warehouse up and running in as little as a few weeks. And we do it without ever shutting the warehouse down. So the warehouse is operating without robots on Friday and on Monday morning, there are robots running around. And three months from Monday, there may be 50% more robots running around as the warehouse hits peak season. Mm. So and how that, does that flexibility is critical. How does that work, Karen, when it comes to, I mean, increasing the, the numbers 50% one day and maybe in two days reducing it, that requires you to come in and actually take the robots in and out or how, how, because I'm just wondering. It's a good, good question. So it's generally not two days, more robots, two days, fewer robots. Our solution design team works with our customers every year, but more than more frequently than just once a year, of course, but we plan out the capacity requirements for each quarter. And we also undertake an an understanding of what the growth rate is. So we work together with our customers to understand what the starting volume is going to be, what the volume is going to be each quarter. And then we have a program that allows our customers to take surge populations of robots for just a few months out of the year and then return them to us. And the robots arrive fully assembled. You just take the lid off the box. You pull the robot down a little ramp. It gets, you turn it on and it gets to work immediately. So the first few robots that go in, there is some work that we do with our customers to do the integration, the software integration with their warehouse management system. We make sure that the network in the building is delivering the the right performance for us to be able to, to for the robots to communicate without uh, any latency or degradation. But then after the initial deployment, any robot that's added to the space will just automatically latch on and join the rest of the robot team. And the robots do work together as a team. We have some sites with more than 200 robots installed, and every robot knows where all of the other robots are, and the robots are all talking to one another so that electronically, of course, so that the robots are communicating the conditions in the warehouse all the time. So all of the other robots know if one robot has seen an obstruction or an unusual situation in the warehouse, all of the robots know, and they will, they will replan their routes to account for the fact that there may be you know, an unexpected situation in the warehouse. Good. And I wanted to touch on two points. One, you mentioned at the beginning, robots are 80% software, which I, I, this is the first time I hear it because, of course, what you see, it's not the software. What you see is... Right. And the second part I wanted to touch on is the trend of getting more and more automation inside the warehouse all over the globe. I was sure. wondering from, from these two perspectives, how is Locus different from the other players? Because there are com- either coming, a lot of players either established. How, what are the things that make Locus different? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So our whole paradigm is really unique. 
the most warehouses around the globe, the associates work manually to pick the merchandise off the shelves or return the merchandise to the shelves. And so they're typically pushing around a very large cart. Think about using a shopping cart in a market, but this is much bigger than that. And it can weigh it can weigh a couple of hundred pounds, you know, probably a hundred kilograms as the workers are pushing it through the warehouse. It's getting heavier and heavier as they add more merchandise to it. And the workers are walking 10 to 15 miles a day, pushing this around the warehouse. Many solutions try to emulate the behavior of those carts. So what they'll do is they'll create what's essentially a self-driving cart. And the cart will present itself to the worker and the worker will follow that cart through the warehouse, that automated cart, just as if it were a regular cart. The only difference is that the worker is not pushing it or pulling it. The robot is moving by itself, but it acts like a cart. And the problem from our perspective with that with that paradigm is that the worker is still doing almost as much much walking as if she were pushing a cart. She's still, for all of the distance that the robot is traveling in the aisles, the worker has to follow it. And so the, the worker is still spending a tremendous amount of her time with walk, just walking, which is an unproductive part. The the, the part that's, that's profitable for the business is when the worker is making a pick. So what we do is completely unheard of before. We split apart the conveyor, the, the robot, the, the transport vehicle, and the human. The human stays in roughly a zone in the warehouse, and the robot comes to a worker and says, I need this item from this shelf. The worker places the item on the robot, and then what happens is the robot moves to its next pick location. And the worker goes to the next robot that's probably right there next to her in the, in the aisle. So the robot is going to interact with many workers in the course of completing its mission, and the workers are each going to interact with many robots. And this way, we can really do parallel processing to drive this productivity and efficiency. We are driving down employee walking time by about 80%. So it's, it's huge, the, the, the difference here. And I mentioned earlier that I was going to come back to this, the yes. health and safety with the social distancing. So I've just described how our robots and workers are independent agents working with one another. And so the workers tend to stay in one or two aisles to do their work and the robots come to the workers. Because the workers are staying in their aisles and they're only interacting with the robots, they're not really crossing paths with other associates. We didn't we did not design our solution for social distancing, not for health reasons anyway. But what we did do was we very, you know, our very early design point was to say, if you have two humans who are crossing paths with one another in the warehouse to make a pick, then you're being inefficient because this worker could have made the pick over there and this worker could have made the pick there. There's no reason for them to cross paths. 
So we designed our solution to keep the workers separated because that drives higher productivity. It just also so happens that that also drives greater health safety in the time of a pandemic. So it's it's sort of a bonus element to to our design strategy. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that all the clients want now. And it's it's excellent that it kind of happened as a as a side effect. Now, I wanted to ask you about Maybe we can, we don't need to name names. I already saw on the website a few names. Uh, probably those are safer, but yeah, it's, it's up to you. Just as case studies, right? Because you were mentioning fulfillment, uh, improving fulfillment productivity two times or even three times, right? Flexible configuration, a few other interesting elements. Is there a case study we could maybe delve into? Sure. I, I think there are a couple of interesting ones. Actually, in the background behind me, is this is actually not a working warehouse behind me. This is, this is one of our customers' innovation centers. DHL is one of our largest customers. They have many warehouses with us. And this is, this is their showroom, their showcase, where they demonstrate to their customers and partners the various types of technology that they deploy. DHL is a real technology visionary and so they are constantly on the lookout for new technologies. And so these are locust robots running around there. There probably are some good DHL case studies that I can speak to, but let me start with one out of the UK. The customer is Boots, which is the largest health and beauty aid retailer in the UK with about 2,500 shops and the high streets in, in all of all of the UK. And they use our robots to to do fulfillment and through for their e-commerce. That's a business that saw a huge spike in volume when the pandemic hit. So the pandemic hit the EU and the UK much earlier than it did the US and I think even earlier than it did Singapore, obviously, you know, uh, Asia Pacific saw it early. So they started to see their first, their first instances of, of concern around, around locking down in February of last year. Well, February came right at the end of the holiday peak season. They boots had had taken on extra robots for peak to get their holiday orders out the door. And they had, they, their, their volumes had just started to settle back down to the post-holiday volumes. They had taken their extra robots that we shipped them for, for holiday season picking and put them on the loading dock. They were ready to come back to Locust. And then the pandemic hit. And nearly and every day after that was like Black Friday. So they were seeing holiday season peaks. They immediately put the robots back in service. We had another customer in the Netherlands that that no longer had a peak season. They were not they were not a consumer goods company that needed to that saw the surge because of the pandemic. They had extra robots on their loading dock. They they put them on a truck and drove them to our customer in the UK temporarily to add even more robots to the mix until we could get more delivered to them. And for roughly Six months, 
don't hold me to the numbers, but roughly yeah. six months, they were seeing a huge spike in volume and were able to handle it because they were able to just add robots to the mix. Yeah, and we see that with, with a number of our customers. We have, you know, another interesting thing that happens when you add the automation to the mix is you don't have to change the processes from what you've already done, but over time, you generally will want to. And the reason for that is that while the immediate need for the robots is to handle the volume of, and productivity, what the ultimate gift of the solution is, is the business intelligence that you get, the processing of data to help inform how you run your business. Mm. The robots are amassing a tremendous amount of data in real time about the warehouse, everything from the pick volumes to the associate performance to congestion in the aisles, and they're communicating that in real time through dashboards mounted throughout the facilities so that, that operators and supervisors can see what's happening. And so what we've seen is people changing up some of their trends. For example, many businesses, many warehouses will do outbound fulfillment during the day and then after the trucks have left the building to deliver their goods, they will then do replenishment and put away in the, uh, in the evening hours. Yeah. Well, the locust robots allow businesses to interleave those tasks so that if there is a lull in the outbound fulfillment, you maybe get through the morning rush and then you wait some time before you have the afternoon surges, you can use that time for robots, instead of coming with requests for the workers to pick an item for outbound, the robots can present themselves to workers and say, please take this item and put it away. And it's the same workers. You don't need to have specialized staff to do you know, one set doing picking and one set doing pick put away. Same robots. It's just what their instructions are to the worker. And we've seen that that our customers have also changed up some of their operational practices. We had one uh, healthcare customer that was getting increasing volumes in their business, and in order to make sure that they could they could meet their their volume commitments every day, they were asking their associates to come in earlier and earlier in the day, and they still weren't getting everything picked. So they would, they would, at the end of the day, they would tell their workers, I'm sorry, you have to work overtime. And it was creating mm-hmm. some real s- stress in the relationship between the management and the associates. That was when they were picking manually. And our solution designers worked with them and we said, you know, you really don't need to have your associates come in at 7 o'clock in the morning or 8 o'clock in the morning. What you can do is... and, and but this is when we were doing the initial design proposal for them. What you can do is you can wait until 8.30 to bring your first pickers in. And then you can wait until 9.30 to bring in your first packers to pack things, to pack out the goods. And the, the customer was, was very nervous about this. And they said, but if we don't bring them in early, we're not going to be able to get everything out the door. And we said, no, it's not a problem because... The more volume of orders you have in your system, the more efficient 
the locus solution can make it. And here's why. Most fulfillment solutions take orders serially when they come in through the WMS system to induction, to picking, they come in serially. And so the manner in which orders are being placed is really a function of of the luck of the timing. Of course, WMS systems do their best to reorder things, but they do it often by comparing SKUs that are in common with multiple orders, for example. What we do is we look in real time, every moment, every time a new robot comes to the beginning of the induction queue, we look at the whole pool of orders and we say, what's the next best thing for us to do? How do we maximize the density of work that we're about to perform when the next robot presents itself? How many orders can we get on that robot? How close together can those orders be? Where do we already have robots in the aisles and workers in the aisles? Because we don't want to send the robots, you know, 40 aisles away where there may not be an associate. We want to really send a lot of robots at once to an aisle where the associates already are. And the more volume we can work with in the order pool, the more selective we can be about doing that. So this customer was able to save some over time and in, with their workers, they were able to have them come in a little later, leave earlier, leave predictably at the end of the day so that the, these folks get home to their families, and their kids see their soccer games, but they were then able to double their volume out of the warehouse at the same time. So it really changed up their whole, their whole labor deployment process. Mm. No, that's an interesting point, Karen. And I know, I don't know if it's still a big uh, topic, but there is always the the fear of robotics because robots will come and, and take our jobs. But in this particular case, I think robots will come and make our jobs better and, and give us more time to spend with, with the family. So that's a different paradigm by itself. Now, I wanted to ask what's next, right? Uh, you've, you've already achieved a big milestone of becoming a unicorn, which of course, nowadays it's it's a big word, but it comes with a lot of results and success behind it. What are the next milestones you look forward to, Karen, for the company? Yeah, so I, I think, and for your listeners, being a unicorn means that the, that the company has achieved a valuation of more than a billion dollars in the eyes of investors. And we're very excited about that because it there have only been a few hundred unicorns in the private markets in, in all of you know history, in all of venture capital history. But it's not in itself an end. You know, it doesn't just because the investors are excited about us, it doesn't mean we can rest and uh, you know not keep moving forward. So we are we're doubling our sales volume this year over last year. Last year was triple the year before, which was triple the year before that, which is one of the reasons why the investors are excited. But more important than just the numbers is we're really trying to make a difference in the industry. We're really trying to transform the warehouse fulfillment industry 
and bring it into the digital age. We, we all hear about digital transformation these days, and it's not just about having a computer, a device. It's, it's about having uh, digital business intelligence permeating everything you do. So we go in, when we do our deployments, we not only deliver robots, but we will mount dashboards at our customer site throughout the facility so that even, not just the managers, but even the associates in the aisles picking can see how their actions are influencing the outcomes at the end of the day. And so we're turning these warehouse boxes into intelligent command centers on behalf of our customers, but we work very, very closely with our customers to do it. Of course, we're delivering robots, but the robots don't get the job done on their own. The robots mm-hmm. are working with our customers' humans, and we, our humans, are working with our customers' humans as well. My CEO always likes to say, if you like our robots, you'll love our humans. Um, <laughs> and it's, you know, it's very much a, a long-term relationship thing. So where do we go from here? Well, we continue to expand use cases to reach new markets. We continue, I think, to add value for our shareholders and our investors. And really, I think the sky's the limit. It's, as I said, it's a huge market. So there's, and it's a big, it's a big world. So that, and the market is everywhere in the world. Yeah. So we're, we're working to expand to other geographies. You did mention becoming a Fortune 500 company at some point. It's out there, right? <laughs> And of course, I don't know how, how big is the presence in Asia yet or in APEC, but yeah, definitely it's a, it's a, so, huge, yep. yeah, it's a huge market. We, to have, come to. we really have no presence thus far. We are entering the Pacific Rim mm-hmm. um, this year through in partnership with, through Australia to start, yeah. which is yeah. sometimes unusual. But we, I, I think it's reasonable to expect that, that Asia Pacific is very much on our radar screen, either late this year or next year. I'm not making any promises here, but it's, you know, certainly we're well aware of the importance of the market. But what's very important to us is to ensure that we are helping our customers achieve success in every market that we're in. And we're being very careful to choose our timing prudently so that we are giving our customers the level of quality and commitment and and performance that they deserve. Mm. Karen wanted to ask you a bit more about the the team, right? Because that's an important element in any business. And as as you said, and the CEO said, right, you like our robots, you love our team and people. What is the type of of culture that that you're trying to nurture in Locus? And I think you're closing 200 people. I don't know if LinkedIn is the correct source. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Okay. So from a culture. We're just about there. So from a culture standpoint, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of fun. Uh, It's very much a family type of atmosphere, although we do have employees all over the world or from all over the world. Actually, our chief customer officer is from Singapore. She's living in the U.S. now, but that's where she grew up. But we have employees in South America, many in North America, both the U.S. and Canada, we have workers in the British Isles and the European continent. And I expect, as I said, that we will start to expand along the Pacific Rim by next year. So, but what's the culture? Well, we've always tried to create a very inclusive atmosphere 
We are very transparent with our with our workers about about our performance as a business, what our thinking is both strategically and tactically. We have a a workplace that really encourages ideas coming from everywhere. And we try and infuse everything with an element of fun. I think our holiday party this past <laughs> December was considered was it was virtual. But there are a lot of employees who think that may be our best holiday party ever. Wow. So, you know, if some of your <laughs> if some of your listeners want tips on what we did, I'd be happy to share it. But we usually do really good holiday parties, but this was a pretty amazing virtual holiday party because we included all of our workers' families in it and we created a lot of activities and events and food is very much a part of our culture. So we made sure that there was a lot of wow. food distributed. So it was yeah. it was a lot of fun, but you know, but we really try and integrate all of these team building activities just as a natural part of our fabric. It's not we, we don't try to kind of force things. We we really just try and weave together people's personal life and work life. I mean, as, as people wish. So for us, the pandemic, it well, I think for everybody, it was a little weird around the world as well as sometimes a little scary. Yeah. But our workers have really been able to maintain their work relationships with their coworkers. We do a lot of team building events throughout the, you know, throughout the month over Zoom. We do departmental social hours. But in the meantime, people are working very, very hard. As mm. you can imagine when we're tripling or doubling our Revenue and robot populations, there's a lot of hard work, but we really try and pull everybody together as a family to get excited about the work that we're doing. Uh, that's impressive. If, if people said that a, a virtual party was the best ever, uh, it's, it's a big statement to make. So kudos to you. And we had good live parties. We had really yeah, good live parties. Yeah, that's what I'm was, seeing. Yeah, exactly. This was awesome. <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> You should definitely share the knowledge if uh, <laughs> if possible. We have now, a lot of photos. <laughs> now, I wanted to, to close on, on the next question, um, Karen. And like you said, you've been with, with a number of companies in different roles. You've seen both sides of the aisle, the, the big corporates, the startup world. We have listeners from, of course, they are maybe in executive positions. Maybe some are starting their career. Maybe some want to change their career. What's the best piece of advice for a successful career that, that you received or you could give to somebody? How would you frame it? It's a really great question. I would say try things. Don't be afraid to fail. Failure is how we advance. Get out of your comfort zone and really understand what you're trying to achieve, both for yourself personally, but also when you look at any business, really ask yourself, what does success look like for the business as well as for me in that business? And if you can't visualize what success looks like for the business, then maybe it's not the best fit. But if you can, don't be afraid to bring some really unconventional thinking to helping the business achieve that success. So, you know, when, when we look at, you know, actually, it just popped into my head this moment. When you think back to some great corporate mission statements, I'm reminded of Bill Gates' mission statement in, in the early 80s, where his vision for success was a computer on every desktop. And mm-hmm. people would say, 
I don't get it. You guys don't make computers. Well, of course, now Microsoft does. But his vision for success was to create an environment in which the software was so powerful and provided so much utility to workers that people would not be able to envision a work life or even a personal life without the use of the computer. And so the mission then was to create software that would do that. And I think a lot of people looked at that, that that's kind of odd. So for us, we're really committed to the digital transformation of the warehouse. And that means today, robots. We are a robotics company, but we're always open-minded to new technologies that may come along, working to incorporate them into our solution or working in partnership with others to help achieve a really meaningful benefit to our installed base, to our customers. Hmm. And on that note here, and I thank you very much for the time and I wish you all Thanks. the best. I'm sure, like you said, you already achieved a big milestone, but there are many more to come. And what you're doing is a solution that all the globe needs. So I'm sure the growth is just out there and you'll get it, get it soon enough. We, we wait for you in Asia Pacific. Perfect. I'd love to meet you when we get there. Excellent. Thank you very much, Karen. Thanks, Andre. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For all the show notes and information discussed in the episode, please follow elkatglobal.com slash podcast. Also, if you found this interesting, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or Stitcher or one of the podcast platforms. We are looking forward to your feedback.